Uh, many of you know that, that Pastor Mark Trotter was in the process of working uh, on some books uh, when he passed away. He's got, you know, 52 weeks, and, and he's got the keys to Bible study, and so um, a, a bunch of just fantastic tools. Well, Living Faith Publishing was able, he was almost done with um, this book here, Things Above, his, his study in Colossians chapter 3. And so Living Faith Publishing was able to get that completed. Uh, and so you can purchase that now. It's available on Amazon. We also have copies here. Um, I, th I think we're able to sell them for a little bit cheaper than Amazon just because we were able to go directly uh, to the printer and, and get them. So we have those available. They're $6 here um, at the information desk. So you can see Mark or Chris and get your copy uh, this morning. So be sure, be sure and do that. You certainly won't regret it. Um, it is a great tool. Uh, just for, for practical living, um, especially in the days we're in today, and, and, and how to keep uh, a focus on things above, how to keep a, a spiritual focus, which we need more, more than ever. So be sure uh, and get your copy today. It's only $6. That, that'll be the best $6 you've ever spent, I promise you. Way better than, you know, McDonald's Happy Meal, whatever, you know. <laughs> they, they're probably more than that by now. But anyway, um, Go ahead and, and turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to get into our study uh, this morning, and we're going to finish out this, tw this 12th chapter. And in doing so, we are going to get a lesson from Paul regarding how to lead difficult people. And, and before we get into it, I, I want you to know we're talking about the Corinthians here, not the new Philadelphians. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that you are difficult people, at least not all of you, but, but anyone uh, who has been in ministry for any amount of time does know that there are difficulties involved, and those difficulties usually involve people. You know, I've heard folks say this statement before, and, and you probably have too, that, that ministry would be great if it just didn't have to deal with people. It would be fantastic. And while I understand certainly the sentiment behind that, and it's usually meant as a joke, the problem is there is no ministry without people. See, ministry doesn't happen in a vacuum. Ministry is investing the Word of God into the souls of men. So you have to have both parts. That means you have to be involved with people. There's, there's just no way around it. Therefore, if you're going to be involved in ministry, which the Bible says that's, that's kind of why we're still here. But God hasn't taken us up to heaven yet. That we're going to have to learn to deal with people, even those difficult ones. And Paul gives us a good lesson on how to navigate that from a leadership perspective in our text this morning. And you may be thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not leading anyone. I'm not a leader in any ministry, and, and so this doesn't apply to me. Well, the truth is, this is just good practical advice for dealing with difficult people in general. And, and maybe you have one or two of those in your life, I don't know. But last week, we talked about the, how church and our church and every church is a great opportunity to love. Because people come together as a single body who might not otherwise flock together. Or maybe even not want to spend time together. But in church, you get to put all that pettiness aside and love each other anyway because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And like I said, even if you're not leading, you should be involved with ministry. You should be involved with people at some level in your life because that is God's desire for you. So this message should help you, even if you're not, you know, quote unquote, leading people. But, you know, we're all leading at some level, whether it's in our family, 
whether it's with our kids. And so we can apply this on, 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 on all sorts of different levels. And, and Paul gives us a great lesson because the fact is when it comes to the Corinthians, they've been pretty difficult for him. He had given them everything he had. He had spent more time with them than most of the other churches he had started. He wasn't a burden to them. As we saw last week, the more love that he showed to them, the less love he received back. We know from 1 Corinthians that their doctrine got all messed up, and Paul had to come in and correct that. And then after that gets resolved, so to speak, some false teachers come in and they start accusing Paul of of things that were untrue. And many of the Corinthians believed them. And so even after everything Paul had done for the church, he still had to defend himself anyway. Something he considered foolish, but he had to do it. Now with this church, it just seems like it was one thing after another. But even in his frustration, and even through some of his sarcasm, which we'll see some more of this morning, Paul maintains the right attitude towards them. And through that, we get to learn how to deal with and how to lead difficult people. So let's see how Paul does it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 16 down through the end of the chapter, in verse 21. Paul says, But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and that I will bewail many which have sinned already. And have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we ask you to be with us this morning. We ask you to to use your word um, to to do what only it can do, Lord. And and I ask your spirit to do what only he can do. Um, Move me aside, Lord, and, and, and speak clearly through me. And I pray that your word goes forth with authority and with power that it has alone. Lord, I pray that everything that that I say this morning is true to your word, and I pray that it is glorifying and honoring to you, and I pray that you use it in all of our lives, or just to help us become more like you, and see things the way you see things. And Lord, uh, we we need that each day. We need need to to draw closer and closer to you and conform uh, ourselves to to your image more and more each day. So I pray that you help us do that uh, even this morning. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, we're just going to get a very simple, uh, very practical message this morning on dealing with people. And before we get into the specifics of the point, I I want to remind you of the theme of this chapter. So we've given you a theme for the book overall, and we've given you a theme for every chapter. So the theme of the book is ministry, if you don't know, this is our, our manual on ministry. And the theme of chapter 12 as a reminder is humility. That's the That's the theme of this chapter. And when it comes to dealing with and leading difficult people, you're going to need some humility. You know, I have a personal motto that I try to live by um, when when I'm dealing with situations like we're going to see in our text this morning. And I I don't always do it, unfortunately, because, you know, my flesh um, still gets the best of me sometimes. Uh, 
But my motto is go low. Jennifer will tell you this. I, I use this motto a lot. And my motto is go low. And I, I try to remind myself of that when I'm, when I'm dealing with people and I feel my pride uh, rising up. And I base that off, off two primary verses. Uh, the first is Psalm 116, verse 6. And that verse says, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. You see, in, in those situations, dealing with people, I want, and, and more importantly, I need the Lord's help. And he's not going to give it to me unless I humble myself. And I know that. The other thing I need when dealing with people is wisdom. And Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. And listen, going low doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you. Paul certainly didn't. Jesus was called lowly in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, but he always said what he needed to stay, say. He always stood on truth. And, and he, he just did it with humility. And out of that foundation of love that we talked about last week and not out of pride. And the principles we're going to see from Paul this morning will help us with that as well. And the first principle that we see when it comes to remaining humble and going low, dealing with people, is stay consistent. Stay consistent. Look back at verse 16. Paul says, but be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Now, Paul is, is coming off the passage we obviously looked at last week, where he reiterated this fact that he wasn't a burden to them. He didn't take any money for himself from them. Now, in verse 16, Paul, this is the, the peak of sarcasm from Saul, from, from Paul, what he says here. He is sarcastically saying that, that he purposefully didn't take any money from them in order to trick them. And so that they would receive Christ and that they would serve Christ. Out of trickery, out of guile. And, and he's just being sarcastic. And I know that Paul is being sarcastic because of the specific words that he used. <clears throat> because Paul was not crafty with them. And Paul didn't use guile. In fact, he says as much. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, starting in verse 1 of, of that chapter, Paul said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, I didn't come to you walking in craftiness. I've been straightforward with you all, all along. Then speaking to the Thessalonians, Paul talked about he and, and, and Timothy and Silvanus, how, how they dealt with people. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. He says, Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. That wasn't Paul's methodology. He didn't use craftiness. He didn't use guile. So when Paul says that statement in 2 Corinthians 12, he isn't being contradictory. He's being sarcastic. And he goes on to say in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 12 that it wasn't only me. Everyone I sent to you, they didn't take any money from you either. At one point, Paul had sent Timothy. 
We see that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, a faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Then as he referenced here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had sent Titus and another brother. He sent another brother for accountability because they had taken up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you, for indeed he accepted the exhortation. But being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you, and we have sent with him the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout the churches. Now again, they hadn't taken any money from the Corinthians for, their, their, for themselves. They weren't a personal burden uh, to them. They were taking it for the saints in Jerusalem. But the point I'm making, the point that I want you to see in this, is that in dealing with the Corinthians in this particular area, Paul was consistent in what he had determined was right. Paul had determined that he wasn't going to be a burden to them. And anyone else he sent to them, they weren't going to be a burden either. And he didn't let all the problems and all the persecutions that, that, that the Corinthians had caused him he didn't let that move him off of, off of that, off of what he knew God wanted him to do. And that's just a great leadership principle to live by. You must do what you believe is right according to the word of God. Even when people want to make you do what's wrong. And trust me, sometimes they will. And as a result, what we sometimes see in ministry and in dealing with people, is that we change our decisions and we change how we deal with people based on how they happen to be treating us and based on maybe the problems that they're causing for us. And when that happens, that's just our pride. That is our pride rising up within us. And we need to be consistent in our dealings with people according to what the Word of God has to say, especially if you are in leadership. And so how do you do it? How, how do you do it when, when you're facing all this trouble and it's frustrating and, and people are accusing you of things or whatever? How do you do it? How do you remain humble so that you can stay consistent in how you minister? You do it by walking in the Spirit. It's the only way. It's the only way you can. That's what Paul was referring to at the end of verse 19 when he said, Walked we not in the same Spirit? And he's talking about him and Titus. Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Weren't we together in this? Because we were following the Lord. And the same spirit they were talking about, he, he, Paul was talking about, was the Holy Spirit. And the same steps they were walking in were the steps of Jesus. Because 1 Peter 2.21 says, For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. And that's what Paul was doing. He was following Jesus' steps. 1 John 2.6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, in Jesus, ought himself also so to walk, even as, even as he walked, even as Jesus walked. You see, part of following Jesus is walking like Jesus. And Jesus was a walk of consistency. 
We've talked about this a little bit before, but Jesus Christ is consistent in character. Jesus Christ was consistent in his walk because he never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the same. He's consistent in what he does and how he, how he acts and how he treats. And so for us, this is just a battle of the flesh versus the spirit. Are we going to be Christ-like? And listen, if, if for, for our leaders of this church and for you up-and-coming leaders, that is what we need you to be. We need you to be Christ-like. Christ-like in how you deal with people. Christ-like in how you make decisions. We need you to walk in his steps. Because the opposite is walking in your pride and letting your flesh determine how you minister. This is a, listen, this is the same problem we deal with every day in our Christian life. This is just in the context of ministry. It's in the context of leadership. And the fact is, you cannot make decisions based on your feelings. You have to leave your feelings out of ministry. Now, now hear what I'm saying on that. I'm not saying be cold and unemotional and detached. That is not what I'm saying at all. No, that, that is not Christ-like either. No, get involved in people's lives. And it's okay to involve your emotions in, in the Christ-like care of others. However, your feelings, both positive feelings or negative feelings, your feelings cannot be allowed to hinder God's truth. They can't be allowed to hinder God's truth. If, if you know what God says in his word, you have to lead accordingly. You have to, even if your feelings, if they feel differently, no, you have to stay to what the word of God has to say. This is especially true when that other person is difficult, like the Corinthians word of Paul. And the corollary to that point, and being able to stay consistent and not allow those negative feelings in particular to get in the way of effective ministry, is you can't take things personally. And, and we see that with Paul here, even though it's obvious in his writings that the sum of the stuff that the Corinthians did to him was hurtful. He didn't make it personal. There's not one, one place you see that. He still responded and acted according to how God was leading him. He didn't respond according to how he was personally feeling. Now, he told them. He confronted them. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But he made decisions based on, on what the Word of God had to say. Another good example of this is Samuel. When the nation of Israel decided that they wanted a king, and, and Samuel didn't like it, but look at what God tells him in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. That's they were requesting a king. You know, Samuel was the, the judge at this time, and, and they wanted the king. And God said, for they've not rejected thee, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And the truth is, when it comes to ministry, that's always the case. When you're dealing with people that don't want to do what's right or they're causing you problems, whatever the case may be, um, they're rejecting the Lord. 
if, if they're not living a, a, according to the word of God and, and, and the counsel that you're giving them according to the word of God, uh, they're rejecting the Lord. And that was the case with Jesus, John 15, 25 says, but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. So here's the application. Like Samuel, like Jesus, like Paul, and like so many others in the Bible, we have to understand that in ministry, we are God's representatives before the people. Therefore, our main goal and the reason that we need to stay consistent is because we have to have a good conscience towards God. That is our responsibility. We must understand that everything we do in ministry has to be biblical. It should be honoring to God. It should be truth and love. In ministry, we are on God's side. So we need to act accordingly. So then, we must understand that if we have a good conscience towards God and we speak the truth of God, then we are going to be victorious in spite of anybody's reactions to us, in spite of how anybody treats us. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. The verse says he always causes us to triumph. And that's true if we are walking in his steps. No matter how you're being treated in that moment, no matter the problems that are, that are, that are in your ministry or, or, or that are being caused, if, if you understand that you are a representative of God and, and that your goal is to have a good conscience in front of God, that you're doing what you're doing, you're making your decision. Listen, if you're making decisions in pride, you can't have a good conscience in front of God. You can't have a good conscience before him. But if you're doing it to the best of your ability, walking in his steps according to what the word of God has to say, you'll be victorious. You'll be victorious. Always. God will always cause you to triumph. And that brings us to our second principle, ministering to and dealing with difficult people, and that is to stay centered. Stay centered on why you are doing what you're doing And who you are actually doing it for. Okay, look at verse 19. Paul says again, Think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? Think we that we need to to justify our actions before you? He said, "Do do you think that I owe you an explanation? He says, we speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. So in a nutshell... Paul is saying that despite what the Corinthians think of him or say about him, he doesn't answer to them. He answers to God. With respect to his actions in ministry, even his words in these letters to the Corinthians, he is accountable to God alone. Because this ministry to the Corinthians was assigned to Paul by God alone. We talked about that some last week. He was called to this. He said something similar earlier in this book in 2 Corinthians 2.17. He says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And this was Paul's life. 
He told the Colossians in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatever ye do, your ministry with each other, your ministry amongst the church, do it to God, not as unto men, knowing that the Lord ye shall receive the reward, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You see, when it comes to ministry, while it always involves people, it has to, it is always for the Lord. We serve the Lord Christ, period. So, so let me give you a very practical, a very personal example. As your pastor, the, the biblical fact is, some of you aren't going to like this, um, I don't serve you. Now, just stay with me because it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out in the end. But um, I don't serve you. I serve the Lord only. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one that, that deserves anything. So I serve him only. And, and when it comes to ministry and staying centered where you need to be to not make prideful decisions, that sort of thing. That has to be your mindset. So let me give you some very practical tools on what this means for you in ministry. Because especially, okay, if we're leading in ministry again in, in that context, um, man, it, ideally, I trust we're doing it for the right reasons. And, and we want to see victory in people's lives Again, for good, genuine reasons. And, and we want, you know, a, a quote-unquote successful ministry. But there's really only one measurement when it comes to ministry. And, and it's this. You are successful when and only when you please God. That's it. That's it. It's the only measurement. That's why we have to take God's side. That's why we have to have a good conscience towards Him. Because if we're just acting on our own whim... Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, he will not be pleased. It doesn't matter how many people showing up. If you're acting out of your own, your own flesh, it's not going to be pleased. Romans 8, 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot, cannot, cannot please God. And we have to get this wrapped around our brain because we've been led to believe that we've been successful when our, when our ministry is growing in numbers. And that's great. We should desire that. But that's not the measurement. Or, or even like, you know, we're seeing some obvious fruit. Well, man, if you're seeing fruit, praise the Lord. But, but here's the danger in that. Satan can disguise fruit. And, and what we may think is fruit isn't always real fruit. And always isn't abiding by the vine. So you have to be careful. Because especially in this culture, in, in today's America, we, we live in a results-driven society. And sometimes that even creeps into our theology. But it's not necessarily the case with spiritual matters. We've been successful when we please God. We please God when we walk in his steps. And we make decisions uh, according to what the word of God has to say. And sometimes... That doesn't lead to, you know, successful results. So, in, in the way that we view it from a worldly perspective. 
Sometimes success in God's eyes doesn't look like success in the world's eyes. And you have to rest in that. It's why it's so important. You have, you have to understand. You've got to stay consistent according to what the Word of God has to say. You have, you have to do it for the Lord. You have to have that as the center. And when you do that, you're, you're going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk in His steps. You're going to have a good conscience. And then the results, that, that's, that's up to the Lord on, on how that, how that come, falls out. But, and so you have to rest in that. and You have to get your personal contentment from pleasing God alone. Because if you do get involved in people's lives in ministry, at some point, you will have your detractors too. You just will. If you're going to lead a ministry at any level, at some point, you're going, to have, you're going to have some people not like you, disagree with you, whatever the case may be. Many of the Corinthians obviously were quite critical of Paul, even though he had quite literally given everything he had for them. And this is why you have to stay centered on the who and on the why you're doing what you're doing. Because the truth is, many people who, who ultimately don't want to do what the Bible says, they'll look for someone to blame. And that will be us. That will be you. That will be me. And so we have to be aware of that and not be seduced into unbiblical thinking. So, so think about it this way, just as, as an example. God's not a failure when someone doesn't accept his free gift of salvation, right? God's not a failure in that. Everyone has a free will, and they get to exercise it, even if they've been told the right way to think and the right way to act according to the Bible. So you're not necessarily a success or a failure based on how people respond. Not necessarily. So don't believe that lie that it has to look a certain way. Just keep doing what you're doing for the Lord. Stay true to the word of God. Walk in the spirit. But he, and here's the beautiful thing about all of it. When ministry is done with God as the center, it's better for everyone. Because when I do it for him alone, guess who benefits? You. You all benefit. You know, I, I said earlier that, I, that I, I don't serve you. I serve the Lord. Uh, I serve the Lord alone. But look at how Paul ends verse 19. He says, but we do all things dearly beloved, which just shows you how he thinks of them. For you're edifying. That's how God works it out. See, Paul's ministry wasn't actually in service to them, but it absolutely benefited them. It edified them. It built them up. Because that's the way God has set it up. When you do right by him, he is going to give the increase. Now, we've talked about this before, but this is what true teachers, true leaders, true men of God do. They build churches. They build lives. Because they understand who they're ministering for, who they're serving. And, and when you do it right, listen, you can't, you can't make anybody do what's right anyway. I have no control over the, the quote-unquote success of this church. What I have control over is how I serve the Lord. And if I do that right, I promise you God's not going to fail on his end. If I do that right, God's going to make this better for all of us. God's going to build all of us. 
And it's why God gives us pastors, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And when there's a good pastor, God will use him to edify the body. But it's not pastors only who edify. We all need to do it. We all need to take part in building godliness into the life of someone else. Whether that's your children, whether that is your disciples, whether that is your friends. We should all be doing it. That is ministry. That is service to the Lord, investing the word of God into the souls of men. And it's so great the way God set it all up. Stay centered on him. Serve him as you minister to others, and he's going to use it for everybody's benefit. But, but just so you don't get too unbalanced, we have one more point. So I, I don't want you to think people don't matter, because they do. So you minister in service to the Lord. You do what you do for him. But there is a balance, because in serving the Lord, you, you can't forget about the people to whom you're serving and who you're ministering. So our third principle on how to lead and deal with difficult people is stay concerned. Stay concerned. You need to do what you do for the Lord, but you still need to do it with a mind toward those that you're investing the Word of God in. Look at verse 20. Paul said, For I fear, lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, and I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates and envyings and wraths and strifes, backbiting, whispering, swellings, tumults. And lest when I come again, my God shall humble me among you. And I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. You see, Paul's concerned. He's concerned for the Corinthians. And he's done his part. He's served the Lord to the pleasing of the Lord. But he still has compassion. And love for the Corinthians. So he's concerned that when he gets there, they're still going to be messed up. And that burdens him. You see the first three words of verse 20? For I fear. And that's also what he said in chapter 11. When Paul was concerned that they were being beguiled by the devil. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And we laid that out, just how serious that was and, and that concern that Paul had there. But here in chapter 12, this is just as serious. Paul said, I'm afraid when I get there, you're not going to be living like I want you to. And so therefore, you're not going to like what I have to say and how I feel about it. And listen, when I read these words of Paul, I can't help but, but think of them being written directly from Jesus to us in this age of Laodicea. You know, for I, Jesus, fear lest when I come at the rapture, I shall not find you, the Christian, such as I would, living the way I want you to. And that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. That you will be ashamed to see me because of your sin. And I think we should all take heed to that personally. And take special care not to partake particularly in the list of things that comes next in that verse. 
And, and look at the list. Look at what Paul is concerned that they are doing. You see, they don't have it all fixed yet. He said, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whispering, swelling, tumults. Now listen, that's not a good list. You don't want to get caught up in those things. You see a similar list in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, where it's called the works of the flesh. In Romans chapter 1, Paul calls those that participate in these activities reprobates. Romans 1, verse 28 through 32 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death and only do the same, but have pleasure, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4.31 to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Look at what James has to say about this type of activity amongst Christians. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So those are some strong words. And I took you through all that because I wanted you to see the seriousness of those things and the harsh language that God uses around them. And the truth is, I know you because I know me. And we're sometimes quick to justify things like debates and envyings and backbitings and strife. We should not do that. They're serious things, James says, they're earthly, sensual, and devilish. They're part of every evil work. And no matter how we justify it, all our works of the flesh are evil. Now, everything on this list is bad, but I want to look at a couple of them with particular interest as it relates to our point of staying concerned. Because Paul was concerned. He feared for the Corinthians, even though, according to verse 20, they were whisperers. They participated in whisperings. And I point that out because if you study whisperings in the Bible, it's always directed at someone and it always has an agenda. Let me just give you a couple examples. Psalm 41 verse 7 says, All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. Proverbs 16 28 says, a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. And the whisperings that were going on in Corinth were undoubtedly directed at Paul. There was an agenda against Paul, but he didn't let that stop him from being concerned. It's the same thing with the word swellings. It's the next to last word in verse 20. Swelling means pridefully puffed puffed up against someone in speech. So talking about someone and how you are better than them. 2 Peter 2.18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. 
Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And Jude, verse 16, says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And again, I, I point this out because there were those in Corinth who used whisperings and swelling words against Paul to puff themselves up and to knock, the, knock him down in the eyes of others. And yet, he didn't allow that to take away his concern for them. Now, he obviously didn't like it. He certainly addressed it. We've seen that over the last two chapters in this book. He directly confronts them and addresses it because, because he defended truth. Because he's serving the Lord. So he did what was right according to the Bible. But he still protected his heart in the midst of it. And he didn't allow himself to fall back into the flesh to deal with it. He kept his humility. And this is a hard one for sure. But we too should be concerned when those we are ministering to are involved in sin even when that sin has us as a bullseye. And depending on its context, you might have to address it. You probably will. You might have to confront them directly. But if you do, do it from the Spirit, not from the flesh. Do it with the desire that they repent and get things right. And then look down at verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 12. He continues this theme of feeling responsibility even when they are against him. Unless when I come, my God will humble me among you. And I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. So I mean, we see here it wasn't just those verbal sins that they were involved in. There was uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness. And so while the Corinthians had made some strides since Paul's first letter, and they still... They still had some things messed up. They're still dealing with some stuff. And the fact is, it, it grieved Paul. That's what bewail means. It, it means to grieve. And you need to know, especially you up-and-coming leaders, that this is grieving for people's sin. This is a common theme of God's men throughout the Bible. God would call a man to carry out his mission. And that involved the people. In the Old Testament, it's the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it's usually Paul of the church. But you see this theme of godly men being grieved over the sins of, of, of the people that, that God's called them to. Moses is a great example. And we could choose any number of verses with Moses. But, but just by way of example, look at Deuteronomy 9.25. Moses said, Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. You see this with Samuel and his dealings with Saul. Saul had messed up, and God departed from him. And it grieved Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 35. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until his death, so he still did what was right according to the word of God, according to what God told him to do. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. In Psalm 119, verse 136, David looked at Israel 
and how they wouldn't follow the Lord and they wouldn't obey his word and look at his response. He said, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, mourned over and over because of Israel's rejection of God and their ultimate captivity. In Jeremiah 13, 17, he says, But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. Mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock has carried away captive. Paul even felt this way about his kinsmen and for Israel. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in, in the Holy Ghost, for I have great heaviness continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh and he was talking about Israel and we could go on and on and on with example after example after example of verses just like I've read the fact is that godly men concern and grieve over the sins of, of those that they've been called to minister to. Now, you know, I, I see Paul and I see him kind of grieving over everybody's sin. It's like, you know, Paul's something special. I don't have the spiritual energy, I don't think, to grieve over everyone's sin. But I grieve over yours. And you should be concerned and grieve over if you have any level of responsibility, whether it's your family, whether it's a ministry, Whatever it is, you should, you should grieve and it should, it should draw you to the Lord. What do you see in every single one of those, those examples? I mean, what you consistently see is that, that man of God is talking to the Lord. And it should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to go to the Lord over the sins of, of, of the people that we're ministering to. You should be concerned. So dealing with difficult people is, is something that no one prefers. But it's something we all need to figure out. Because even though there may be people that are somewhat difficult to deal with, there's are still, still people that God loves. And there's still people that Jesus died for. And so we need to maintain a mindset of humility in our ministry to keep a God-focused view. So stay consistent. Don't allow how someone is treating you. Change the way that you treat them and deal with them. Give them the same love that God would. And, and how do you do that? You do it by staying centered. Remember that you're doing this for the Lord. And that he deserves it even if they don't. He deserves it. You answer to him. You're going to stand before him at the judgment seat, not them. So do what you do because you love him. And you want to serve him with everything you've got. And then last, even though you're doing what you do for the Lord, you can't lose sight of, of the people that he's called you to minister to. So stay concerned. Pray. Grieve over their sin and call them back to the Lord in repentance. And rejoice when they do. That's how you can effectively lead and deal with people. Now we're going to close out here in just a second. And, and I'm going to pray and the praise team is going to come back up and and we have that final song you know call it an invitation call it what you want but but that song is for you to, to take what God has showed you, you know, during the the preaching of his word and to deal with it to examine yourself and you know, we talked about that last week with the Lord's Supper and take that time to examine if there is something that you need to repent of 
And if you do, do it. If God's calling you to something, answer that call. And so whether you need to come forward and pray at the altar before the Lord, whether you handle it in your pew right there in front of you, um, it doesn't matter. What matters is that, that you respond to something that the Lord's dealing with you about. And now I do want to say, anytime we have, you know, a church service, we have hundreds of people here, I, I recognize and, and understand the fact that there's very likely people in here that, that don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And the, and the sermons that we preach here, you know, God has a specific role for what, for what we do and a specific purpose for what we do, and it, it is to, to, to train. And, and when I'm preaching a sermon, it's, it's t- typically targeted at the, the members of this church because that's the role, that's the job God has given me to do. And, and so it's not always super evangelistic, but what I want you to know is anytime you come in the, this church building, if you don't know the Lord, God brought you here so that, so that you could meet him. That's why you're here. I promise you. So if you're not saved, if you don't know what it means to, and have never taken the time to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you should consider that. You should absolutely consider what God is calling you to. Because listen, it doesn't matter. We talked about ministry today. We talked about leadership. We talked about those sorts of things. You can't do any of it until you know him. You can't do any of it until you become a child of God and you, you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. And in that alone, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. What you can do is say, I believe that he did it. And I, I believe that. And I'm going to put the, my faith in that. And if you need to do that today, you should. So you should come forward. You should talk to us. Listen, you know, there may not be anybody standing up here, but I'll be on this front row. Come find me. There's nothing more that I'd rather do is talk to you about how you could get saved this morning. What, what, a, what rejoicing that would be. How great would that be? So, so when we sing this last song, consider what God's asking of you. Consider what God wants of you today.